Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from The Private Key to Heaven, a book put together by Thomas Brooks, the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. He's telling us some directions in our prayer. In the third one, or letter C, take heed of curiosity. He says, take heed of curiosity and of spending too much of your precious time in searching into those dark, abstruse, mysterious, and hidden truths and things of God and religion that lie most remote from the understanding of the best and wisest of men. Curiosity is the spiritual adultery of the soul. Curiosity is a spiritual drunkenness. For look, as the drunkard is never satisfied unless he sees the bottom of the cup, be it never so deep. So those that are troubled with the itch of curiosity will say they can never be satisfied until they come to the bottom of the most deep and profound things of God. They love to pry into God's secrets and to scan the mysteries of religion by their weak, shallow reason and to be wise above what is written. Curious searchers into the deep, mysterious things of God will make all God's depths to be shallows, rather than they will be thought not able to fathom them by the short line of their own reason. Oh, that men would once learn to be contentedly ignorant where God would not have them knowing. Oh, that men were once so humble as to account it no disparagement to them to acknowledge some depths in God and in the blessed scripture which their shallow reason cannot fathom. They are only a company of fools in folio, folio meaning the largest size, that affect to know more than God would have them. Did Adam's tree of knowledge make him and his posterity mere fools? He that goes to school to his own reason hath a fool for his schoolmaster. The ready way to grow stark blind is to be still prying and gazing upon the body of the sun. And so the ready way to spiritual blindness is to be still prying into the most secret and hidden things of God. Are there not many who, by prying long into the secrets of nature, are become arch enemies to the grace of God? Oh, that we were wise to admire those deep mysteries which we cannot understand, and to adore those depths and counsels which we cannot reach. Oh, let us check our curiosity in the things of God, and sit down satisfied and contented to resolve many of God's actions into some hidden causes, which lie secret in the abyss of his eternal knowledge and infallible will. Christ, when he was on earth, very frequently, severely, and sharply condemned curious inquirers, as is evident by the scriptures in the margin, meaning uh, places like John 21, uh, 22, and Acts 1, 6 to 7. And the great reason why our Savior did so frequently check this humor of curiosity was because the great indulgers of it were too frequent neglectors of the more great, necessary, and important points of religion. Curiosity is one of Satan's most dangerous engines by which he keeps many souls out of their prayer closets, yea, out of heaven. When many a poor soul begins in good earnest to look towards heaven and to apply himself to closet duties, then Satan begins to bestir himself 
and to labor with all his might so to busy the poor soul with vain inquiries and curious speculations and unprofitable curiosities that the soul hath no time for closet prayer. Ah, how well might it have been with many a man had he but spent one quarter of that time in closet prayer that he hath spent in curious inquiries after things that have not been fundamental to his happiness. The heathenish priests affected curiosity. They had their mythologies and strange canting expressions of their imaginary inaccessible deities to amaze and amuse their blind superstitious followers and thereby to hold up their popish and apish idolatries in greater veneration. Oh, that there were none of this heathenish spirit among many in these days who have their faces toward heaven. Ah, how many are there that busy themselves more in searching after the reasons of the irrecoverableness of man's fall than they do to recover themselves out of their fallen estate. Ah, how many are there that busy themselves more about the apostasy of the angels than they do about securing their interest in Christ. And what a deal of precious time have some spent in discovering the natures, distinctions, properties, and orders of angels. That high-soaring counterfeit Dionysius describes the hierarchy of angels as exactly as if he had dwelt among them. He saith there are nine orders of them, which he grounds upon nine words, which are found partly in the Old Testament and partly in the New. Seraphim, cherubim, thrones, powers, hosts, dominions, principalities, archangels, and angels. And at last he describes their several natures, distinctions, and properties, as that the first three orders are for immediate attendance on the Almighty, the next three for the general government of the creatures, and the last three orders for the particular good of God's elect. That the archangel surpasses the beauty of angels ten times, principalities surpass the archangels twenty times, and powers surpass the, surpass the principalities forty times, and so on. How he came by this learning is not known, and yet this hierarchy in these nine several orders hath passed for current through many ages of the church. The Platonics were the first that divided the angels into three orders, as some above heaven called supercalestes, others in heaven called celestes, and others under heaven called subcelestes, and Accordingly, they assigned them several offices. Uh, first, they, they above heaven, I mean this visible heaven, continually stand before God, as they say, praising and lauding and magnifying of his name. Secondly, they in heaven are, are there seated to move, rule, and govern the stars. And thirdly, they under heaven are uh, some to rule kingdoms, others provinces, others cities, others particular men. Several Christian writers that have written on the hierarchy of angels follow these opinions. Now, if we should take these surmises for real truths, then it will follow that the highest angels do not minister to the saints, but only and immediately to God himself, which is expressly contrary to several scriptures, as you may see by them in the, in the margin above others. Uh, when I was upon the <coughs> ministration, of the blessed angels studying, I, I did then prove in several exercises 
as some of you may remember, that all the angels in heaven were commanded and commissionated by God to be serviceable and useful to the heirs of salvation. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Well, the devil knows he is no loser and the curious soul but a very little gainer if he can but persuade him to spend most of his precious time in studying and pouring upon the most dark, mysterious, and hidden things of God. He that affects to read the revelation of John more than his plain epistles, or Daniel's prophecies more than David's psalms, and is more busy about reconciling difficult scriptures than he is about mortifying of unruly lusts, or that is set more upon vain speculations than upon things that make most for edification. He is not the man that is cut out for closet prayer. Such as affect sublime notions, obscure expressions, and are men of abstracted conceits, are but a company of wise fools that will never take any delight to be with God in a corner. Had many men spent but half that time in secret prayer that they have spent in seeking after the philosopher's stone, and that mythical substance supposed to change any metal into gold or silver. How happy might they have been! Oh, how holy, how happy, how heavenly and humble and wise, knowing might many men have been had they spent but half that time in closet prayer than they have spent in searching after those things that are hard to be understood, as Peter explained. Well, fourthly, in directions Regarding prayer, take heed of engaging yourselves in a crowd of worldly businesses. Many have so much to do on earth that they have no time to look up to heaven. As much earth puts out the fire, so much worldly business puts out the fire of heavenly affections. Look, as the earth swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, so much worldly business swallows up so much precious time that many men have no leisure <coughs> to be with God in their closets. This business is to be done, and that business cannot be omitted, and the other necessary occasions must be attended, so that I have no leisure to step out of my shop into my closet, saith the earthly-minded man. Thus a crowd of worldly businesses crowds closet prayer quite out of doors. Many drive so great a trade in their shops that their private trade to heaven is quite laid by. There is nothing that hath kept men more from Christ and closet prayer than the shop, the exchange, the farm, and the oxen. The stars which have least circuit are nearest the pole, and men that are least perplexed with worldly businesses are commonly nearest to God, to Christ, to heaven, and so the fitter for closet prayer. It is sad when men grasp so much business that they can have no leisure for communion with God in a corner. The noise is such in a mill as hinders all private intercourse between man and man, and so a multitude of worldly businesses make such a noise as that it hinders all private intercourse between God and the soul. If a man of much business should now and then slide into his closet, <clears throat> yet his head and his heart will be so filled and distracted with the thoughts of his employments that God shall have little of him but his bodily presence, or at most, but bodily exercise, which profits little. If Christ blamed Martha 
for the multitude of her domestical employments, though they were undertaken for the immediate service and entertainment of himself, because they hindered her in her sole concernments. Oh, how will he one day blame all those who, by running themselves into a crowd of worldly businesses, do cut themselves off from all opportunities of pouring out their souls before him in secret? Fifthly, take heed of secret sins. There is no greater hindrance to secret prayer in all the world than secret sins. Therefore stand upon your watch and arm yourselves with all your might against them. There is an antipathy between secret sinning and secret praying, partly from guilt, which makes the soul shy of coming under God's secret eye, and partly from those fears, doubts, disputes, and disorders that secret sins raise in the heart. Light is not more opposite to darkness, Christ to Belial, nor heaven to hell, than secret prayer is to secret sins. And therefore, whatever you do, look that you keep clear of secret sins. And to that purpose, he says, let's consider these four things, and we will begin those four things next time. The first one being that God sees secret sins. Thank you so much for being here today. Please look around the site. We have 3,500 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you want more fellowship, please consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contacting me at my email, bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll tell you about our Zoom meetings. Also, we have a radio station now. Please go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com. Hackberryhouseofchosun.com. And right there at the top of that first page, you will see a way to click on the radio. And there, every hour, you will see different subjects. I have a schedule posted right there. You can see what's available at that particular hour. This is a new part of the thing as the dust begins to settle on this new station. I do hope that you will visit us and that you will give us, uh, well, your uh, perhaps words of advice as to what else needs to be done on that station. But we want this to reach many people, and I hope that you will tell your friends about it too. Anyway, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 13th of June, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.